welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 91 for Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Boston is a hotbed of game development, whether it's big studios or indie studios. And today I have a product manager from one of those local studios that you all know and love so well, Harmonix Music Systems. Say hello to one of their product managers, Alicia Kaye. Hello, Alicia. Hi, Ken. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be a part of the podcast. Super exciting. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, Harmonix. Everybody knows the name Harmonix. Just, can you rattle off some of the games that you're most famous for? Yeah, so we developed uh, the first two guitar heroes. We're really known for Rock Band, Dance Central, a bunch of, a bunch of games in the franchise of both of those. That's awesome. And also Drop Mix, I believe. Oh, yeah, and Drop Mix. I forgot about that. <laughs> One of my favorite games. <laughs> that was a collaboration with Hasbro, right? Yeah, that was a collaboration with Hasbro. Um, we've done some VR stuff, Sing Space, Rock Band VR, all sorts of games, Harmonics Music VR. And we're also known for frequency and amplitude. Oh, of course. Those those go way How back How I forget? <laughs> right. How long have you been with Harmonics? Yeah, so I've been... Um, at Harmonix for almost three years. It'll be three years in August. Wow. Time goes fast, doesn't it? It really does. I was just an intern. <laughs> and now you're a product manager. What is a product manager? A product manager at Harmonix is the business owner for the game that you're working on. So my job is basically to manage the product and specifically work with the teams to make sure that the product that we're building is right for the audience who's going to play and purchase the game. So we have a really interesting structure at Harmonix where we have uh, a creative lead and then we have a development lead and then we have the product manager. And so that's what I do. And, and my job is I work with those folks to figure out things like what features should be in the games that we're working on, how much should it be priced, where is it going to live? What are, What is it going to do? And stuff like that. So there's there's so many different things that fall under the realm of product manager. And how do you make those decisions about like how much a game should cost, for example? Do you just look at what the competition is charging and try to undercut them? Definitely not. <laughs> not in a game of undercutting. I think, you know, it depends on it depends on the project. Different games have different business goals. And so usually, you know, for pricing, it's it's kind of about what your goals are for the for the product. What's the landscape look like on the platform you're on? Are you premium? Are you free to play? What are other games doing and that are, you know, the comp, quote unquote competition, but also comparative titles? And what would be, you know, the right price for the the material that you're putting out? With pricing strategy is super interesting because you can price your game really high, but that means that maybe not a lot of people will buy it, but it'll be more premium. But if you price your game maybe lower, you'll have more people playing the game, but you might not make as much money. So it just depends on what the business goals um, for your product are. This was the first time I worked on like a pricing of anything. And with for Dance Central, that's the game that I'm currently working on. Um, but yeah, pricing is really interesting and 
I have no, I, I don't know the science behind it, but <laughs> it's a lot of research, <laughs> a lot of research. I can imagine. And there's probably some research that also goes into, as you mentioned, determining what features go into a game. I mean, if I was a game developer, the advice I always seem to get from any sort of creative individual is make a product that you're happy with, because if you're not happy with it, nobody else will be. So I would just make a game that I love to play. But I imagine if you're going for mass market appeal, there has to be a little bit more research than that. Yeah, I think that's one of the that's the one thing I feel that I constantly try to not do in the sense of when I am thinking about the game that I'm working on, I'm working on identifying who the target audience is and who that user is. And that person might not be like myself. And so when I'm in the room, you know, conversating with other leads on the team, thinking about like, well, we should add this feature versus this feature. It's really interesting because I definitely strive to make sure that I'm not providing my opinion based on personal preference, but rather championing the user and championing the person that's going to play the game. And that's kind of like the voice that I try to be in the room with game development. Because it's really hard sometimes to separate yourself from the game because you're so close to it. We play, you know, like, for example, with Dance Central, I've been working on the game for a year and a half. So I've played the game like every day, if not every week, depending on what my schedule is like. And I know that game backwards and forwards, but just because I like something, I want something to be a certain way doesn't mean that's what's right for the people who are going to play it. I think it would be really easy to see like, I want to make something that I really like, but then I don't think there's enough people like me <laughs> that would play <laughs> the game. So, <laughs> you know, it it's an interesting thing with towing the line uh, in regards to like mass appeal versus like just doing something that's right for this one audience, right? But yeah, I try not to think of myself unless I fit into one of the user personas, but I don't necessarily fit into a user persona. An example of that is I actually was a competitive dancer growing up. So I did like the conventions and competitions. Like I traveled on the weekends, went to dance nationals and stuff like that. And, uh, when we were working on the difficulty for the game, like the choreography, for me, it was easy to score really high. But the goal was to be like accessible, right? We want everyone to be able to play the game. Um, and if I had taken the attitude of like, I want the game to be about me, no, like it literally would be so hard. People wouldn't want to play it. Um, that's just like one example of, you know, that kind like managing those types of uh, situations when you're thinking about like yourself versus like who's going to play the game and what they need. So it's a lot of a lot of compromise. <laughs> Is there a difficulty setting in the game that's appropriate for you? Yeah, I mean, I so there we have two difficulties in the game, standard and pro mode, and pro mode feels good for me. Uh we did a lot of work with scoring, but like when the, the, like there was a one point where the game was really really hard. But like for me, I would still be able to get high scores. But I realized that like it just came more naturally to me. So I don't, I don't like, I'm not, I'm not excited about, oh, this game is hard. Let's just make it really hard. I like want other people to have fun. And I felt like I had to say like, okay, like just because the game isn't, it was hard for me, but it wasn't as hard for me as it was for other people. Then 
it was easy to say, okay, like, yeah, like, okay, I can get the scores, but if these this amount of people can't get above a certain score, no one's going to want to play this game. They're going to feel really defeated. And then nobody's having fun. Yeah, but now everyone's having fun because we did a lot of work to <laughs> to figure out the scoring and the difficulty. Um, that was a huge endeavor. And it took a lot of people to work together to figure that out. So you did all this audience research for the game. You mentioned how you have to figure out the pricing. Your responsibilities also include managing profit and loss or P&L statements, analytics, demoing the game to the public. That's a lot of different responsibilities. Is that what people who are applying for a product management job should expect? Is that typical in this industry? You know, this is the first time that I've ever been a product manager, and it's the first time that I've ever been a product manager in games. I don't know if being a product manager would be the same at every studio, but what I do know is that at Harmonix, you get to touch all different types of things, which is what makes me really interested in the job because I enjoy business and I want to have my own company potentially one day or run a company one day. And this is like a very... Uh, micro level, I guess, way of looking at, you know, one product and thinking about all the different things that go into the business of a product. And so it's very exciting. There's no day that's like another, like I don't have like a really a routine. I kind of just go into work and deal with whatever I have to deal with on my list and whatever is coming up. So it's pretty fun for me because I, I get bored easily. So <laughs> <laughs> I like I like being able to work on like analytics, profit and loss statement, legal, music. The music is a big part of my job at Harmonix. Like we, the product managers own the soundtrack. We work with our music licensing team in LA. Shout out to Cheryl. And um, we basically work with her and that team to figure out like what music is going to go in the game. And that's like... My favorite. That's definitely my favorite part of it. But yeah, there's just so many different aspects of the job. And I would say that it's probably similar at other studios, but for sure, being a product manager, like you're going to touch a lot of different things. I've heard that wearing a lot of different hats is typical of small companies. Would you call Harmonix a small company? I mean, we are small right now. I feel like, I don't know. I would say I've worked at bigger companies before, so I would say that I feel that there's definitely like the the really cool thing about Harmonix is that there's a lot of opportunity and I feel as though in in my position for example because there's not all of these like levels of hierarchy and bureaucracy with like you know like a thousand person company there's definitely like the opportunity to wear a lot of hats. I don't think it's like that in every single job, right? Like if you're an artist, you're probably going to be an artist. Um, you're not going to be working on legal stuff. But I think I definitely have more opportunity to wear more hats in a quote unquote smaller company than if I was in a really big one, maybe. And you like that as opposed to being siloed and saying, this is your job, keep your head down and do your thing. Yeah, no, I could never survive in that kind of environment. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not my personality. I think what's exciting is that I get to go to work every day and work with all these different people who some people have been working at Harmonix their entire career. And some people have come and gone, but... Like, it's just like this epic group of people that are 
that love games and love music and are just experts in this. Like there's nowhere else, right? Like I don't, there's nowhere else I would work in music and gaming. Like, I don't think there, you know what I mean? Like there's just, I mean, there's other places you could work, but in my opinion, I think that like what's at harmonics is just very special and you know, I'm learning so much and it's been a really incredible opportunity for me and experience for someone who literally just started working in games. Like I said, like I said earlier, I've only been working at harmonics for three years and I've only been full time for like two and a half. So I've learned a lot. I mean, last year I was working, I was not like a product manager on my own, I was working with uh, Jessa Brzezinski, shout out to her, my amazing mentor and manager, <laughs> and now peer, um, and just working with her uh, as a product manager because it's kind of one of those jobs that you, you can't just start doing. Like You have to work with someone, and it was kind of like an apprenticeship, and I got to like follow her for a year on all of the projects she worked on, on Sing Space and Super Beat Sports. Um, and I also worked with Daniel Sussman, who's the product manager on Rock Band. And that was also awesome. And so to work with them to get the kind of experience of like, what is this job? Because you, they, we do so many different things that like, I don't even know how to teach someone to do this without just having them dive right in with, with someone that is supportive. So I want to talk a lot more about your career and your education and what you've learned at Harmonix. But first, let's give our listeners some background, some context into just what it is you're doing there. You mentioned Dance Central, which is a well-known franchise, but you have a new game in that series that just debuted this spring, which is unlike any other Dance Central game that's ever come out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we just released Dance Central in May, um, exclusive to the Oculus platform. We were a launch title for the Oculus Quest, and we were also we're also available on the Oculus Rift S and Rift. And those are VR headsets for people who don't know what I'm talking about. Um, the Quest is going to, in my opinion, revolutionize VR. It is completely tetherless. There's no wires. You don't need like a computer. You just buy the headset and then you're in VR right away, um, which is which is awesome because the barrier to entry for VR has been pretty high in the past. Um, so to get this headset out and to be a part of the launch title, um, I guess landscape has been really awesome. Um, yeah, Dance Central for VR is basically a virtual reality experience. It's a basically a 24 hour dance club and you go in there and you can dance with characters from the franchise. You can meet up with other people up to three other people from anywhere in the world and dance with them in a lounge. So we're doing a sync online synchronous multiplayer for the first time in the franchise history. And it's just a different experience. Like you're, truly immersing yourself into the Dance Central franchise. It's definitely a unique experience from the previous uh, four titles. So I can put on this headset and have the controllers in my hand and use them to navigate around a club, find people to dance with, and they will teach me the moves, I hope, because I don't know the first thing about dancing. <laughs> yes. So you you just mirror the dancer and they dance and you follow them and then you're dancing. It's pretty fun. 
Um, so yeah, you can go into the club and basically be alone with the Dance Central characters and you can meet all of them. There's five, four of them from the franchise pass and a new character that we introduced in this game. And then you can also go to the lounge and meet up with people in like the real world. And you have a full body avatar and you can talk to them. They can talk to you and it really feels like you're in the same room. One of the things I used to love about Karaoke Revolution back on the PlayStation 2, which was also a Harmonix game, was that there were a lot of different styles to choose from of music, uh, whether it was, you know, top 40 pop or whatever, or even an entire country music edition Mm -hmm. that I loved for the PS2, Karaoke Revolution Country Edition. So can I do different kinds of dancing in Dance Central? Yeah, I mean, every single song is uniquely choreographed for this game. We... Our soundtrack ranges from the 70s to today's hits and has includes like all genres of music, basically, except maybe country. So sorry about that, Ken. But <laughs> oh, come on. What the heck? I love country. I'm from Louisiana, so I'm not going to knock on country. But I don't think we have any country songs, uh, but definitely like pop, hip hop, dance, club, all, all the things that you would expect in a club. And some things that you may not actually, um, just to be different and unique. And yeah, you get we have thirty two songs on the soundtrack, so you can pick whatever songs you want to play. Um, and we have these really cool things called mega mixes, where basically you can play like one long song, basically, but it's like four different songs in one, and it feels like a DJ is actually mixing all the songs. Um, which is pretty cool. So we had like some harmonics music and then licensed music and we, our audio team did magical things and made these mega mixes. And that's new to the franchise as well, which is, is pretty fun and exciting, but they're definitely a marathon. They're like six minutes long and it's a workout. (laughs) If I'm dancing for six minutes, I want Dance Central to tell me how many calories I've burned. Yeah, well, actually, we just announced. Um, sorry, I hesitated because I was like, "Can I talk about this?" But we actually just announced that we have a fitness tracker coming to the game. It's not there yet, but it will be coming. Date is not announced yet, but um, yeah, you can track your calories for now. You can just wear your Fitbit or your Apple Watch. <laughs> but we're gonna have a, a fitness tracker in the game, which is super exciting. So you'll be able to to track how much you're, how many calories you're burning in real time and your stats over time. Oh, that's awesome. Now, is that going to be like a software patch or is there DLC? I really don't know how Oculus works. Is there DLC? Um, There is going to be DLC, but this is going to be like a, a software patch. Like for the, for the fitness thing, it's like a feature we're adding later. But there also will be like, there will be more music. That's what we're calling the DLC. So we, we literally just announced all of this like, Last week. <laughs> oh, cutting edge. So nice. New news. Maybe you can slip a country song in there somewhere for me. I'm your target audience after <laughs> all. You got to do that audience research. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the diversity of the soundtrack of Dance Central and how there's no country music, which I'm really sad about. We talked about the <laughs> a little bit the diversity of experience of the people who helped make the game. What about the diversity of the virtual space that you've created? For the first time ever, as you said, players can walk around in these dance clubs. Are they going to be seeing themselves or people who look like themselves in these spaces? Yeah. So one of the 
you know, the biggest things in Dance Central is making people feel welcome and included. Like you're in a club, but clubs can get a bad rep and we don't want to be one of those clubs. (laughs) Everyone's like, you know, everyone is invited to come to the club. And part of, you know, the experience that I've had working on this game that was so awesome is, you know, we had a lot of diversity on our team. And because of that, you know, having people from underrepresented groups on the team and in the room when we were having certain conversations, there's a lot of things in Dance Central that I'm really proud of. For example, you know, the crowd, like in the club, represents people in the real world. And our avatar customization has all different types of body types, skin color, hair, clothing, and you can mix and match. Like we're not forcing you to choose an outfit based on what gender you identify with. We don't tell you any of that. You can literally pick any face, any head, any body and mix and match. Um, Nothing's labeled. And that was really, really important um, when making Dance Central because we wanted it to feel inviting, inclusive, and welcoming, but also really cool. And the way to be cool, you know, is to let people express themselves freely. Now, one of the concerns about as gaming moves to this virtual reality space, as opposed to just sitting on a couch and pressing buttons, is that it requires some physical exertion. As you pointed out, it's going to eventually count your calories as well. And that's great if that's what you're into and are able to participate in, but not everybody has that capacity. So, does moving to VR exclude some people? Yeah, I think that something that VR brings to the table that's different from like the Connect, for example, is that because we're not tracking your full body, we're able to allow to be more accessible. So putting the headset on and having the controllers, really, you can stand, but if you want, if you need to sit, you you can sit. You know, you don't have to stand and play the game. Um, just putting the headset on your head is being in the game. Um, and so... I definitely think that there's more accessibility in that because because you're scored on, you know, your head and your hands placements, it's not as much your full body. And so if, you know, you want to get a workout out of the game, you can. But if you just want to experience it and you just want to go in the club, you can as well. You mentioned also that this is the first time Dance Central has gone online with some genres or some franchises Going online can be a very toxic experience based on your interactions with other players. Is that something I need to be concerned about in this virtual club? Yeah. So that was a really big, big thing that we discussed when we were creating this game, player safety. It's, you know, there's no secret that player harassment happens in virtual reality. There's been, you know, lots of conversations about, you know, once you're in a virtual reality space it feels really real and people do things that they would do in in the real world and it does and can feel violating. And so one of the things that was really important for us when we were working on the lounge was how do we give people the freedom to meet new people in public spaces, but also give them the tools to self-moderate because we're not going to be there to kick people out of the club because they're misbehaving. We're not going to know. We're not monitoring everyone's sessions, right? So basically, we actually created um, a gesture for the game called Double Thumbs Down. And so if someone's bothering you, or even if they're just too close to your face, um, whatever they're doing that could be considered harassment, um, 
or trolling, you literally do a double thumbs down at them and they're muted and frozen instantly, which gives you the time to de-escalate the situation, go into the Oculus um, home menu and report the abuse or block the person. Or if you want to let the host know what's going on to kick them out of the room, if you're the host, you can kick them out of the room. So, you know, we definitely didn't want people to go into the lounge and experience, you know, harassment potentially and then never come back. You know, why I want to think that everyone that goes into the game is going to be positive. That's not always the case. So it was really, really important for us to, to create player safety tools that allow players to kind of moderate the situations in general. And, you know, even if it's like your friend dancing in front of you, you can still double thumbs down them and then you can double thumbs up to undo it. And you can basically mute or freeze someone's avatar at any moment in time in there. So I would say that, you know, for anyone who's trying multiplayer virtual reality for the first time or any kind of online game for the first time, like this is one where you do have the tools to deal with those situations if they come up. That's awesome. Uh, I'm glad that this is something that you've thought about and that you've made sure that this virtual club is a accepting, welcoming, and safe space for anybody who just wants to dance. Exactly. I mean, I will say I played a lot of VR games when I, we work on this on this title, a lot of social games. I have experienced harassment myself. It was a personal cause of mine to make sure that we did something to make people feel safe. So um, it was really, really important to our team. And it was great that people on the team were receptive to believing and to hearing and to understanding and to working on those features. So Dance Central was coming out pretty regularly after its debut. There were almost annual installments on the Xbox 360. This is the first new Dance Central game in about five years. So how did that affect expectations or was it difficult to revive the franchise internally? What what sort of challenges did that five-year gap present or opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I definitely... What I've come to learn is that people that play Dance Central love Dance Central. They are diehard fans. And also in the studio, like people who are Dance Central fans in the studio love Dance Central. I definitely think this was a big opportunity because it happened sometime since a Dance Central game had come out. People are always talking on social media about bring Dance Central back, bring Dance Central back. And so this was really exciting for a lot of people in the studio to bring back. I don't think anyone in the community had any idea that this was going to happen. So I, I definitely like working on this in secrecy was really fun because We'll put like a, you know, a YouTube video out about Rock Band and someone will be like, bring back Dance Central. And so the whole time we're like, ah, like it's coming. Don't worry. But yeah, I think just being able to bring the franchise back and get this opportunity was like really exciting because some of the people that worked on the game have worked on it since the first, like Arthur Anasi, who I think you know. But Arthur is our creative lead and he worked, I mean, this was like the demo was his concept to come up with the game in, in VR, like that, the game as it exists now, he worked on that demo and he, it was his creative vision uh, for the, for the product, which is amazing. And he's worked on every single Dance Central game. And our art lead, Matt Perlot, Pearly, um, was the first art lead on 
Dance Central, uh, one of our QA leads, Nate Stoddard, was on QA. Like literally everyone, Jessa, who was originally um, product manager for a while, was on every dance. Like literally like almost all the team had worked on Dance Central and then half the team was like brand new. Um, so it was super exciting just to like see the evolution and see some of the, you know, just be in the room with people who've worked on every single game and just had so much institutional knowledge about the franchise and brought this really cool energy back into the studio because like dancing is really fun, in my opinion, to get people like in the studio to play the game and to dance in the hallways and to play our music loud. It was like a different kind of energy that was pretty awesome. We brought back um, a couple of choreographers from the franchise as well. So it was just really, you know, exciting for a lot of people to to bring the franchise back. Um, I think one of the scariest things about working on this was like, what are people going to think? People who love the franchise, like, what are they going to think of this game? So far, so good. The reception from people who are Dance Central fans have been has been really positive that those that have played the game. But that definitely was, I think, one thing that was like, okay, well, we're bringing it back, but it's going to be in VR, and what are people going to think about it? Um, but overall, in the studio, so much excitement. Like, the team is just amazing. <laughs> Has Harmonix done other VR games, or is this your first? Yeah, no, this is not the first VR game Harmonix has done. Uh, we did Rock Band VR for the Oculus Rift. We did Sing Space for the Gear VR, which was a partnership between Oculus and Samsung. And we also um, released Harmonix Music VR on the PlayStation VR. And then we recently launched Autica, which is like a rhythm shooter for uh, VR, and it's on Steam and Oculus. And then we released Dance Central. So quite a bit of VR games in the past like three years. That's great because the Dance Central series has historically been a, an Xbox exclusive, I believe. And I was wondering if it was difficult to make that transition from that very specific platform. But it sounds like Harmonix is already a very platform diverse culture. And so you already had all those skills, that talent, that open-mindedness necessary to adapt to different audiences and different platforms. Absolutely. And I think something that's really interesting about Dan Central is, you know, it was a launch title for the Kinect Xbox 360, and it's kind of always been at the forefront of a new technology. And so the Kinect was new, and then Dan Central came out with the Kinect. And now that we were able to release it on VR, it's like a new technology. And so it feels right, in my opinion, for the franchise because it's always kind of tried something on the edge of technology and something that's new, right? That's really exciting. And you and you mentioned some of the new things that VR brings to Dance Central with this new installment, like just the total immersion, being able to navigate the club, being able to dance with people online. Do you feel that there's anything that may have changed or been lost? I mean, I'm not necessarily looking for negatives, yeah. but for people for people who go into this game and they're like, oh, will anybody say, gee, I kind of missed this part of the game that was in the previous series? I think the biggest difference in the VR experience as opposed to like Connect, which is pretty obvious, is the full body tracking. Um, the Connect was able to track like your full body. And so it was very 
accurate way of scoring your dancing. Like you truly can dance with Dance Central on the Connect and they can tell you like, is your right arm doing the wrong thing? Is your left foot doing the wrong thing? And you're able to know right away. Whereas with VR, where you gain the immersion and these, you know, a different take on this experience, there is no full body tracking. We're just tracking your hands and your head. But we created full body avatars and built this IK system. I don't even know how to the how to pronounce the word with the acronym, so I'm not even going to go there. But basically, we've created a way to make you look like your your feet are moving in real life or in the game without being able to track your actual feet based on your head and your hands. It's a really cool technology um, that some really smart people worked on. <laughs> and that's probably the main difference, right? The full body tracking, it's just not we don't have full body tracking. So like the scoring is just a little bit different. Like your feet aren't scored in the Dance Central version in VR. However, you're going to move your feet because who just dances with their arms? Right. (laughs) I mean, some people might just dance with their arms, but it's really difficult to do that. And so I think in the multiplayer space, it's really interesting to go in and to like see the cool things that we did in order to make the legs look like they were they're real. But that's probably the biggest that's probably the biggest thing. And I wouldn't say it's a negative because it's virtual reality and it's a different um, you know, it's a different platform. It's a different experience. And I don't want to compare them to each other, but that's probably the the biggest thing that people would say, like, oh, but it doesn't track your feet. But that's okay because you're like get to meet the characters, get to be up close and personal with them and dance with them in the club. And you you feel like you're really in another world, even if you might just be in your bedroom. I think that's a fair compromise because if you really want full body tracking in VR, you probably have to wear a suit like in the movie Ready Player One. Yeah. Who wants to do (laughs) that? Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. Right. (laughs) I feel like I saw some people's comments and were like, just put some controllers on your feet or I'm like, no, <laughs> we wanted as many people po- as possible to be able to play this. So like trying to get any, you know, peripheral to m- do full body tracking would have been, you know, a lot. But I definitely think that w- what you lose in full body tracking, you gain in the merchant, like right off the bat. And it's cool because we have a few locations, like we have a wardrobe so you can change your outfit, um, you couldn't do that in previous games. You could, you know, so you could change the characters' outfits, but you couldn't change like your own unless you went and changed your physical clothes <laughs> between every dance. But yeah, there's there's different places. There's we have like a studio, a wardrobe, the lounge, the club, and then there's different places in the club. Like you can go dance in the VIP, you can dance at the bar, you can dance in the entrance on the main floor. And you really feel like you're in, you're being transported into another location. Oh, that's awesome. I love the idea of being fully immersed in this new space. I love the transition that Dance Central has made into VR. And you've made quite a few transitions yourself. You never saw yourself working in the video game industry. Your degree is in music business. Yeah. What exactly is music business? I mean, I, I'm familiar with what MBAs are. I know a few people who got masters in music performance, but what is music business? Yeah, 
Yeah. So I did a master's program at Berkeley College of Music and their campus in Valencia, Spain, which was uh, amazing. Um, the program that I did, the program that I did is called Global Entertainment and Music Business. And basically, it's literally like the business of music. So I went to study there because I wanted to work in music and I love music. I was in choir growing up and chorus and musical theater and acapella in college and I can't escape it. Um, but basically, you know, business, music business is like literally the business side of music. And so that can range from like live. So people that want to go work at festivals or be tour managers or work at concerts. That's one path that falls under music business. Um, another path could be like recording recorded music. So if you want to go and work at a record label, if you want to work in A&R or you could do marketing, legal, finance, there's all these different things. Then there's technology, uh, social impact, nonprofit. I My concentration was in emerging business models and specifically entrepreneurship because I am really I was really interested in how the music industry has adapted post Napster and like with the digital age and the internet and how basically everything just kind of blew up with pirated music and watching like how artists now and in the future can adapt to selling their music and basically being artists in a world where information is free and there's so much access to it. There's different revenue sources as an artist that you have to think about now, as opposed to I go and record a record and then I sell my record and then I go on tour. It's like, no, you go and record a record, but you're probably going to make your money from going on tour or from selling merch or from doing partnerships. A lot of people make a lot of money or get discovered from sync licensing. So, oh, yeah, publishing is a huge part of the music industry that I just didn't even mention. But that's basically all the music licenses, like managing these copyrights and these songs and getting artists paid for it and placing them in like commercials and stuff like that. So there's so many things that fall under music business. I was always interested in kind of that, like I said, that emerging market, like what are the new things that people are doing in the music industry to like keep it alive besides just like, you know, streaming and selling your music, uh, your recorded music and touring. All of those things are great. I participate in the ecosystem. I go to several concerts a year. I buy a lot of music. I consume a lot of music, but I was interested in doing some new things. And I think technology is super interesting because it's kind of been the one thing that has constantly disrupted the industry. But I, when I was in my program, I actually was really interested in fashion and music and partnerships. So that's kind of what my focus was. But that's basically kind of a summary of what it falls under music business. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so given that fascination you had with the reinvention of the music industry, where did you see yourself going once you earned your degree? What what did you think you would be doing or what where did you hope to be applying? Yeah, I mean, I've so I've always been interested in in people and their behavior and how they consume things. And so I worked in advertising prior to going to school. And so I was always kind of interested in marketing. But 
I didn't really want to work in advertising again. And I was like, okay, what are some cool things that I'm interested in? I had a, a music and fashion blog with one of my best friends in Chicago and I focused on the music and she focused on fashion, but we really thought, you know, music and fashion together was super cool because it's kind of been this thing that just pairs well together of just having brand partnerships with artists. And so I was really interested in that world. So I was kind of looking into just different, I guess, like, boots. I, I wrote a business plan for my own agency, but I didn't have enough capital to start it and experience. I didn't, I didn't want to like do, start my own startup right out of school but I was I was definitely interested. I was very open. Even though I was focused on fashion and music, I was still open. I wanted to just do something different in the music industry. But I always want I always knew that I wanted to start my own thing. So I was probably looking, I don't even know where I was looking. I was looking at all kinds of places, um, different fashion brand agencies. There's like a there's a bunch of different agencies that focus on like brand partnerships. I don't yeah, I, I was in a professional development class and I I definitely looked at so many companies, but I can't even think right now cuz it was like 3 years ago. But I I I definitely wanted to just be in something that partnered musicians and brands or musicians and something unique. I definitely didn't think I was going to be in games. I will say that. Um <laughs> <laughs> And you mentioned that you ended up at Harmonix through an internship program that Berkeley offered. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. So Berkeley has uh, an institute for creative entrepreneurship, and I was one of the first. I did a. I got a fellowship basically through Berkeley Ice, and they were starting off this pilot uh, fellowship program that paired musicians or music students with companies like technology companies or just you know, big name companies all over. We didn't know where we were going to work. And so there was two of us that were chosen that year. One of my friends went to work at a self-driving company and working on the sounds for the car. And then I got my opportunity at Harmonix. And it was really interesting because when, when I applied for the program, I had no idea what company uh, would interview me if I even got through the round. So basically I had to film a two and a half minute video about myself pitching myself and why I would be great for this program. And then they shared that video with the partners and they had a partnership with Harmonix and Harmonix was interested in me. And so um, the VP of publishing at the time, Walter interviewed me for the position. And when I found out it was Harmonix, I was like, oh, that's really cool for sure. I don't I didn't think I wanted to work in games, but what I will say is that I've always been a risk taker and I've always been open to opportunities. And for me, when I was having the conversation with him, he was talking about product management and explaining what the job was. I was like, well, hey, like I'm in entrepreneurship. I want to start my own business one day. And so what how like there's no better way in my opinion than to take this opportunity to go and learn how to build a product from conception to it being out in the world and learning how to do that for one product and then applying that later in my career in business and so i accepted you know well they offered me the internship and so it was basically an internship at harmonics and then i also had a fellowship through berkeley so I had some like responsibilities at 
Berkeley too. It was kind of like a class after graduating and I was sponsored. So I had a stipend from a generous donor um, to be able to do this. And it was super cool. Um, I had, so I had never played rock band before, which is like insane. I had definitely played guitar hero, but I had never played rock band and I went to work on rock band. And I told Daniel, who's a product manager the first day, I was like, I was really embarrassed to say this, but I've never worked on rock band. And I thought people were going to look at me crazy. And they were like, wait, this is amazing. We need you to play the game and give us feedback because we're all jaded at this point. We should play the game so much. (laughs) And so it was actually a positive. But I I did play a lot of games growing up and I love playing games. I always have. I love board games and I played a lot of like Nintendo games growing up. I had a Game Boy and Nintendo 64 and I had a Wii and I was definitely more probably what you would call a a casual person, but a casual gamer, except I played a lot. (laughs) So I probably wasn't casual, but I played the like kind of casual like games like Mario and stuff like that. I didn't play anything like I didn't have a, a PlayStation or Xbox growing up or anything like that. But I've always loved games. I just didn't think to apply to a game studio. So for me, it was like, wait, I get to work at a place and play games and make games? Like, this isn't real. (laughs) And I think for me, the reason why I never thought I would work in games is because I don't think I ever allowed myself to understand while playing those games that it was people's jobs to make those games. If that makes sense. I never really thought of a career in gaming. So I never thought I would work in games. And that's that's why I say that. It's not that I don't think I would ever work in games. I'm obviously still working in games after three years and I'm making games. So I, I definitely love games. I just didn't, I really didn't think about it. I did not think about that for myself. And I think a lot of people who do want to get into games have a very narrow idea about what skills are required. Like they know that if they can learn programming, then they can be a developer. If they learn art, they can be an artist. There's starting to be more awareness about narrative design and publicity and community management. But music business, product management, I think that's still a realm that a lot of people don't consider because it's not necessarily in the mainstream media that they're hearing about those opportunities. Right. Yeah. I I guess people just definitely aren't hearing about it. And I think product management is also very specific role i'm not even sure if all gaming studios have product managers a lot of software companies have product managers but yeah i mean for me the transition was great because from music business into harmonics i don't think my music business degree would have gotten me into any gaming studio um unless i was working on a music game probably now i could probably work on any kind of game but for sure it was not what I expected at first. And then I was like, wait, I'm working on like exactly what I wanted to do just in a different way. And I, and I do think that if people, you know, take one thing from my experience, take away one thing from my experience is that just being open to opportunities, you never know like where it will go. And also just because you don't know how to code doesn't mean you can't work in games. Like, there's so many there's so many different jobs and roles and I think for someone who works at a studio I know there's so many people that want to work in games and I think just having that passion 
and knowing about games and being interested and trying to apply your relevant career experience with it will go a long way. You just have to like talk to people. I think people are scared to talk to folks about how do I get a job like that? Because I'm definitely open to talking to anyone. Um, I have a different a different path, but I like my path because <laughs> it's not straight and narrow. <laughs> I think very often we can be the best evangelist for our own jobs. A few months ago, uh, this past November, I was on a panel at a meetup and I spoke about what it is I do for a living. And when I was done, somebody in the audience came up to me and said, I want to do what you do. And I said, well, well, great, we're hiring. And three months later, he's doing what I do at my company. That's amazing. See, it only takes like one conversation. Sometimes. Sometimes it takes 20 but <laughs> or hundreds. But I mean, you just have to take the first leap. Yeah. I mean, it took him showing up, being willing to expose himself to those opportunities, talking to somebody, and then actually applying. I think a lot of people don't apply to work in the games industry because, like you said, they might feel, oh, I don't have the skills. There's not a fit for me. But if you look, sometimes you'll find that fit. And if you can't find it, sometimes they'll make that fit for you if you can justify it. Right. Exactly. You mentioned going to spend... How long were you in Spain? Was it a semester or a year? I was there for a year. Yeah. So I did my entire program there. There's So Berkeley College of Music is based in Boston, and they have a campus in Valencia, Spain. And there's four graduate master's programs that are in Spain, and then they do a study abroad for the undergrads. So like if you're an undergrad, you can go there for one semester or for the whole year. But my program was like strictly in Spain. In fact, I had never been to Boston before until after I graduated from Berkeley. I came here for harmonics. I had never even been to the Berkeley campus in Boston. Huh. Ever. Like I literally moved to Boston cold. I had never even been here. <laughs> and it is cold here. It is. <laughs> Yeah, it is cold. Not as cold as Chicago, though, so I'm surviving, but it's cold. Yeah, definitely much colder than Louisiana. Way colder. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how do you think that that shaped your perspective or your education, having spent an entire year, your entire program in another country? How, what sort of global perspective does that imbue you with? Yeah, I think... You know, there's the the obvious thing is that the global perspective that we had was just being in Spain. But what it was truly awesome about my program is more than uh, the majority of people that were also, that were in my program came from all over the world. There was only, I think, like maybe less than twenty percent of my class was from the United States. So when we were in the classroom, like I had classmates from China, Korea, all over Europe, South America, and Mexico. And it was incredible because we were, you know, truly in a, a room with peers that were from all over the world who had different perspectives about music because the music industry is different all over. And I was really interested in this program because of that, of being able to get a global perspective of what the music industry is like in other countries. But also now I have connections all over. Like I have people that I went to school with that are working all over the world and doing really cool things. 
And that was, I think, the the highlight was the people, actually, because it, it could have just been a bunch of students from the U.S. just going to Spain for a year, but it it wasn't. It was truly a mix of people from all over. I mean, I didn't even mention India, like at, like literally everywhere, and it was it was just it's in, it's incredible. Um, and also for me, you know, I wasn't able to study abroad in undergrad because I was pre-med and it didn't work out. And also it just wouldn't have worked out with my class schedule. And so I hadn't really traveled outside of the U.S. I had been to Panama for a wedding and I had been to Canada for like an eighth grade trip. And that was it. I've been like all over the U.S., but I had never really been, I had never been to Europe at all. So to be able to go there for a year and to visit all these different countries that I had dreamed of visiting, it really changed my life. Like I traveled alone and I met all these people and like, I feel like it was so scary to quit my job and move to a country. Like I didn't speak Spanish. I, you know, I learned French growing up because of my, my heritage and the community I'm from. It's a French, you know, my family's like native French speakers like Spanish was really difficult for me to pick up. In fact, like I'm embarrassed to say that I I guess still can't speak Spanish, but I was really accepted into the community. It was super scary to move there and not know anyone. Um, but since I did that and I survived, I survived it and I grew so much as a person, like I feel like I can do anything. Like I'm not afraid of change or anything like that anymore. And I definitely think like if people have the opportunity to study abroad, even if it's like for three weeks, they should because you learn a lot from being in another place where you're not the native. <laughs> it's it was an r- incredible experience. I think I missed the siesta and the beach the most <laughs> because Valencia is a beach town, and let me tell you, it was awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, I made friends that I'll have for life through this program. That's awesome. So it wasn't so much what you learned about the music industry. It was more about what you learned about yourself by spending a year abroad. Yeah. And also, I mean, the educational part was a big deal. Like I, you know, I took the program very seriously and I took advantage of as many opportunities that I could. I got to work at a music festival when I was out there in Madrid because I had connected with the woman who founded uh, Mad Cool. And I did a lot of things like at school. The educational part was definitely the highlight, but the the thing that I got out of it the most is, is definitely like how it changed my life. Um, I was able to be around musicians all the time, go to concerts, talk to people about music, just be around other people that love music so much and learn about it and meet all. I mean, we, our program director brought in people from the music industry every week from all over. We met Stevie Wonder's manager. It was so cool. I can't believe that happened. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. We went to a music business conference uh, in Cannes, south of France, Midem, which was super cool. I went to. The Great Escape, which is a music festival in Brighton, and that is basically like a part part music business festival where they bring in they have like different workshops and lectures, but it's like the number one festival for discovering new talent, and so like all these up and coming artists in the UK, like Mabel is an artist. I saw her perform. She was like just starting. 
Uh, we we saw her like in a basement bar. So it was really cool. Um, I got to do things that like I never thought I would do. So it was definitely a mix of like the education and the people and experiencing that with the people. So speaking of being around music and musicians all the time, tell me who or what is DJ Pineapple? <laughs> so I was in the music business program, but I love music so much. And I'm a singer. I'm a vocalist. However, I always wanted to DJ. I had done some stuff before in like garage band, but I've always wanted to learn how to DJ with like actual turntables. So I took DJing and turntablism and I ended up like being, I ended up like DJing in Spain, like in Valencia. I did um, a couple of DJ sets through my program. I DJ, uh, Nacho Marco is my professor and he like set me up to do some Berkeley gigs and it was super cool. And so the reason why they call me DJ Pineapple is because I would DJ disco music and pineapples were really popular in drinks in like the disco era. But also because I have curly hair and I had to wear the headphones, the pineapple is actually a hairstyle where you put your hair on the top of your head and it kind of looks like a pineapple. So it kind of went together. But I haven't, de- sadly, I haven't DJed in since then. Um, I like DJ in my house. I do like a house party every once in a while or DJ in my room. Um, it's something I want to get back into. I have a really uh, big interest for DJing. I love it. It's really fun. So does this mean that you're just awesome at drop mix? You know, I just want to say that I was the world champion of drop mix for three weeks. <laughs> um, at one point, I'm no longer the reigning champion. But yes, I am good at drop mix, especially the competitive clash. <laughs> so drop mix, for those who don't know, is sort of a, a song mixing game, a collaboration between Harmonix and Hasbro, where you collect cards, you play them down, it mixes different tracks from different popular songs into this awesome medley that you wouldn't expect would work, but it just somehow does. Yeah, it's so crazy. The technology is, it's awesome. Like, you can literally just DJ if you want it without even knowing how because the tech, the tech just does it for you. And and if you like cards and collecting cards, it's pretty fun too because each card has like unique art and is a different part of a song and it's pretty fun to mix all the different songs together, different genres, different artists. So Alicia, we've talked about so much today. We've talked about Dance Central, your career at Harmonix and your career beforehand in anthropology and in Spain about virtual reality, the Oculus and making a safe space that's virtual. It's been such a joy to talk to you and I'm sure our listeners enjoyed hearing about it. If they want to follow up online, where can they find you or Harmonix on the internet? Yeah, so they can follow me on Twitter at Alicia Kaye on Twitter. And if they want to follow Harmonix, they can like us on Facebook or go to Twitter, follow us at Harmonix. We also have a Harmonix Discord, which they can join as well. Oh, that's awesome. I did not know that. I will have to go join that right now. Yeah, you should join. And uh, we have a Harmonix Discord and we have channels for all of our games. And I frequently communicate with people in the Dance Central 
channels. So they can catch me there too. Awesome. I will include links to all of those in the show notes found at polygamer.net. Alicia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Ken. This was awesome. Really cool opportunity. My first podcast and it was great. I still can't believe it's your first with everything that you've done. I mean, you're all over the internet. You're on Instagram, you're on YouTube, and here you are finally doing a podcast. Finally. (laughs) Super cool. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.